It's really only been this calendar year that all public miners essentially started to hold almost all of their output. Miners used to be the source of incremental liquidity of Bitcoin into the system, but now that so many miners are holding, it is restricting supply. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by BlockFi. And you can now earn a $250 bonus in Bitcoin when you sign up with BlockFi, as they have recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. You can also earn 2% in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend and you can also get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership. But please do make sure you check out the terms for this. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash P-E-T-E-R. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since way back in early 2017. And the Nano S I bought back then, yep, I'm still using that bad boy now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up today, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I have not sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market. And you know what? I just don't want to sell my Bitcoin. I'm a hodler. You're a hodler, right? Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Compass Mining. And you know what? They are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for three months now. I've already paid off one of my S19s, and I'm close to paying off the second one. It is so good to be back mining. And you know what? I just really love these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do everything else for you. If you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Morning, Amanda. Why are you laughing? Just laughing at your clap. Laughing at my clap. (laughs) Finally, we did this. Finally. After threatening to do it for a long time. Uh, and Jamie, oh my God, finally we get you on the podcast. I know, I'm so excited to be here. First time ever. It's very wonderful. Thank you, thank in you. In person. In person. Even better. Even better. It's good to get you both on. Talk a bit about mining. Hopefully you're going to educate me a little bit about what's going on. Uh, okay, I want to start by talking about how 
mining has become something big and weird and amazing and totally beyond anything I think Satoshi predicted. Mm-hmm. Um, mining originally was there to you know, secure the blockchain. You could Still do it on is. your it is, but to do it on your computer. Yeah, but it's become this whole big other thing now, which is being debated across the world in terms of energy, but it's being talked about as stabilizing energy the energy grid. Uh, how do you take it all in, like where mining has kind of got to? So I started in mining in 2017. It's like when I was the class of 2017. Uh-huh. I um, I started at Fidelity, obviously, and, and I dove into mining because no one was really paying attention to it. And it was really the foundation of the network, and I was shocked that no one cared about it as much as they should have. And I could have never predicted the rise of what happened over the past four years. So now we have, you know, people talking about mining every day. Um, We saw a shift happen, I think, after the last halving. Like in 2020, people started to talk about mining up into the halving. And I thought it was kind of like just a trend. But then it never really stopped. And now it's getting even more intensified. And I think that that's because of like the rise of public mining companies and just the rise of hash rate um, and how important it is for the network. So I'm excited to see it come along. Yeah, I. Um, it's funny because Canada really played mu- aggressively in 2017. We had a lot of companies go public as mining companies mm-hmm. in Canada, more so than in the U.S. Yeah. in that cycle. Um, so it's it's fascinating to see the rise of miners in the U.S. now in this cycle and really just how much is happening in the North American space uh, at a rate that we absolutely couldn't have predicted. What's it been like for you, Jamie, coming in about a year ago, we yeah, just, you just told my me? Yeah, one-year anniversary was last week. Uh, so it's been fascinating. Obviously, I come from the traditional technology space and data center space, but at the end of the day, it's all very, very similar as far as the motions of how we run our mining farms and how server farms are run. It's different outputs. It's, you know, a different end use case, but ultimately it's server farms that we're running. It was really funny when Jamie first started, we had a conversation and she called me and was like, is this really like how you order ASICs? Is this like... (laughs) This is legit. I was like, welcome to the circus, Jamie. Things get really weird in mining. I couldn't and, uh, believe that first contract. I've never signed worse terms in my 22-year <laughs> career. I, I couldn't believe it. And that's why I called Amanda. And luckily, uh, Amanda's been a friend to me since I got into the industry. And somebody, you need to have somebody to call to be like, am I getting completely hosed or is this real? Because um, it's wild. What, what were the what were the weird terms? Is it like well, the, we the charge tra- you what we want when we want and deliver them when we want? And you pay up front, so yep. you transfer in our case tens of millions of dollars, and then you hope that you get quality product in return at, at the timeline that you think. But if you don't, your options are go to China and sue, which is never going to happen. So it is completely trust based at the end of the day. And I, even that actually has come a long way. So you used to have to pay 100% up front. Well, I did that. Yeah. I, I've, outside of my recent, I told you this morning, I bought yeah. some S19s of Compass uh, just to have my little contribution to mining. But back in 2017, I thought I was going to be a miner uh, and I completely fucked it up. But I bought 70 S9s from Bitmain and I had to convert my Bitcoin into Bitcoin Cash to buy it. And then make the transfer. And you hope they receive it. And I had to wait months for my ASICs. Why Bitcoin Cash? That's all they would accept at the time because they were trying to push Bitcoin Cash. Uh, you remember that? Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it has changed slightly, but it does go back to how like chips are made. So Bitmain and MicroBT, they have to upfront pay at the foundry. And then also every node that they make is, is a lot of R&D development. So it costs a lot of money for them to create the new machines. So at the beginning, I kind of got it, but now it seems like it's a... It, it should be changing, right? Like contracts should be changing. There should be a little bit more reliability. Um, so I'd love to see like that shift. Now, I'm, I'm actually pretty bullish on Blockstream's news with Spondooly acquisition, and, and hopefully that will help the ASIC market and bring some maturity to it. Um, but it's not, the ASIC supply chain is it's like a challenging beast for miners for sure. Yeah, and those the contract terms also make it really, really difficult to get traditional forms of financing mm -hmm. against the mining infrastructure. Like if you're buying enterprise grade tech, you can always get very low interest financing applied to it. But because of, of the terms involved here, we end up having to pay a lot more if we want traditional financing options on the equipment. I, like, I also finance miners, right? So like yeah. at Galaxy, we mine on our own and then we do miner finance. And even for me, it's really difficult to get comfortable with terms of a contract. So I wait either until the machine comes in or I provide machines for financing because otherwise you don't know like what the terms of the contract are going to look like and when the machines will come. And you're relying on that Bitcoin that they mine to pay you back. There are two main ASIC suppliers, right? Is it uh, Bitmain and Watts Miner? MicroBT. MicroBT. Yeah. Do they make the Watts Miner? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Are, are, what other ASIC manufacturers are there? So there's Canon, there's um, Inosilicon, uh, there's a couple new ones like Minerva, um, and I think I think that's pretty much it. Are they all based out of China, though? Apart from the... Yeah, so MicroBT and Bitmain um, are based out of China, but they've now moved and created more facilities outside of China, which as a U.S. miner, it's actually really great because you're slapped with the 28% like sales tax when you transfer machines from China to the U.S. Um, so that was like the Trump tax that came out a while back. Trump, you dick. <laughs> so, um, oh, so, was, so basically all, all miners are 30% more expensive now because of that? Well, the great news is, is that MicroBT and Bitmain have facilities outside of China now. Oh, they so do, if they're right. manufactured outside of China, the tax doesn't apply. Okay. And in Canada, we don't have the Trump tax. How much of the market do do they have between them? I, like well over 80%, I, I'd say. For sure. The lion's share. Bitmain is the dominant player, mm -hmm. and then MicroBT would be second. So it's essentially a duopoly in... Yeah, but even that, so Bitmain uses TSMC and MicroBT uses Samsung. So it okay. comes down to like space at the foundry. So TSMC has more capacity. And they also, I was shocked last year when um, TSMC came out and said they had the five nanometer node coming. Mm -hmm. And Bitmain was actually one of like a handful of clients that got space on that node. Now it's probably really small of space compared to like Apple, but it still is, is pretty cool for Bitcoin mining. Um, now on the opposite end, MicroBT uses Samsung, which creates its own products. So Samsung is always going to create their products before they give space to an external client. So they have a little bit less market share, I'd say, than Bitmain. Is there a supply issue now with ASICs? It's hard to say. So there's a ton of volume expected in 2022, um, but the reality of what will actually ship is hard to say. So we, we study um, and really look at all the public mining companies because that allows us to have insight into the future network hash rate. And according to public company announcements, we're expecting 414 petahashes to come online over the next year. What does that mean in Pete It's language? massive. It's like massive amounts of money and capital and ASICs being produced. Exahash. 
Axe hash. Hash. <laughs> 414. 414 axe hash. 141 axe hash. Yeah. Okay. Hash. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> How many A6s is that? It's it's a lot of A6s. Uh, what is that? Oh, dub yeah, unit quantity. It's hard. Is that doubling the capacity? It's double. Yeah. Okay. Double, essentially double current network hash. So it's going to halve your profitability unless we that, And that's the just the pu publics. Okay. That doesn't include any And there's some demand. massive private companies, like massive private companies. In fact, the largest miners are private. Core Scientific, one of them? Core is coming to market through a public's back. They're okay. included in the 141. Okay. Yeah. So who, who are the private ones? Do we know? Oh, can, we, can we say? Is it a secret? I don't know. I, like Atlas is a huge okay. public miner. I mean, private miner. Uh, they were based out of China and now moving over. So they've announced deals with Core and Compute North, both uh, 200 megawatt facilities in total that we know that is coming online in the US. But if these all come online, a lot of the older machines that are still hashing right now, the S9s will start to go offline, right? Yeah, I think so. I think because they won't be as profitable unless their cost of electricity is super low. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's a massive increase in supply. We're going to need Michael Saylor to buy a lot more Bitcoin. <laughs> Luckily, he bought more this morning. It's not he's, enough. He's consistent. <laughs> the interesting part, though, is like when will they get delivered? Right? That's, so that's the inconsistency that we just don't know. And we're not sure exact quantities of foundry allocation to ASICs, period. There's estimates, but we don't know exactly how much they're really getting. And we and, don't know if they know yet. That's like the holy grail. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's down to their own operations being a bit sketchy or is it just the, the chip shortage at the moment and themselves? Chip shortage. Chip shortage. Um, yeah. And are you guys having to consider into your plans, like in your risk analysis, uh, potential of China maybe dropping a few little bombs on Taiwan? Do you have to like think about this? We think about all risks. That's probably not one that keeps me up at night. Keeps me up at night. I've definitely mm. thought of that before. Um, I think that there's like larger issues though. Like I like to think that like I wouldn't just be thinking about like how much Bitcoin I mine if that happened. But it, it is something that should be considered, right? Like that's scary. Yeah. So what's being done here in the US? Are foundries being built here? Yes, but they a new foundry takes five years. Really? Yeah. Why, why does it take so long? There's only two companies that make machines for, like, that create the nodes for the foundries. Okay. So it's just, like, supply chain all the way down to, like, machine creation. Okay. What do we know about what Blockstream is doing then? Just what they announced publicly, Peter. Um, <laughs> I'm not in the mining space. <laughs> so um, Blockstream acquired Spondulis. Spondulis was an Israeli-based company uh, that created Bitcoin miners back, I think, in, like, 2016 timeframe. Um but I think they're trying to create their own ASIC, which I think would be great. And Square also recently announced that they're looking into creating some type of ASIC machine for miners. But the time it would take them to be able to make a dent within that market would it's gonna, be challenging. Yeah. I mean, Bitmain and MicroBT definitely have like a, yeah. a very long head start. And there'll be some tests and learn in creating their own ASICs, right? Because I remember when Dragon, I bought some Dragon Mints as well. They were mm. a piece of shit. Um, yeah. But uh, 70 of those, um, complete waste of money. Uh, but, you know, it's going to take some time for them to, like, get up to speed or even become competitive. So it feels like Bitmain and uh, MicroBT have got a, a real stranglehold on the market. Certainly they do now. It will be interesting to see if large tech starts to get interested in this space. Um, 
that could be a game changer for sure. Such as someone like Samsung. Samsung, Intel, AMD, is that, NVIDIA. Is that a prediction or a hope? I think it's an inevitability uh-huh. that large tech will come into this space. Increasing um, recognition that digital assets are here to stay will necessitate that. Bitcoin, Jamie. <laughs> Bitcoin is here to I'm stay. Not a, I'm not a maxi. You know that, Peter. I am. I'm here. Yeah, she's okay. here. Okay. With but my raspy voice. We're, yeah. we're all still friends. <laughs> We've got a table between us. Um, we don't. Uh, I mean, that would be super, super interesting. Do we, what, what is the size of the market in terms of ASICs? We know like annual revenue for manufacturing. We don't know any of Do that. We think it's billions though. It probably is. So, I think the, the closest that we get to understanding it is tracking public mining companies. Uh-huh. We didn't have that like two, three years ago, right? There was only a few. And now there's, there's more. So it allows us more insight into understanding like how big... Big main and micro BTR because public mining companies announce a few things, right? Mm-hmm. That help them with their their stock price. They announce their current hash rate, their future hash rate, when they buy machines, how many machines they buy, and the cost that it costs them to mine a Bitcoin. So I think because of though everyone is tra- like aligning around those metrics, we're now able to see more into like the other side of things that we don't know, like understanding how much Bitcoin ASICs are created would be like literally the holy grail. And I thought we were going to get there. I, I, there were rumors that like Bitmain and MicroBT might IPO, which would require them to provide information. But I think because they're just like killing it, they don't have to. Like they don't need capital. And we also don't know if or how much they're self-mining. That's a good point too. Mm-hmm. That it could be really any amount. Are they definitely self-mining? Do we know they are? We don't know. We don't know. What a mysterious industry. I mean, <laughs> we know that Bitmain at least used to a uh-huh. lot. Um, there was always like coupons that were dropped right before they put out like a new machine. And like I saw machines that came in that were like new, but like were like stepped on and like had like weird hash boards and uh, it was weird. So I, I don't know if they still do, but there's been, you know, rumors of it in the past. So, so they were selling off their gear as new that they'd been using. Mm-hmm. Cheeky. <laughs> how much, can you guys say how much you guys spent on ASICs if you're public companies? Every time we order, we publish what we paid for the, basically per terahash. Right. Yeah, so our last two orders were around $50 a terahash. I have no idea what that equates to <laughs> in terms of how much you've spent on. It depends on the machine. So machines have yeah. a certain amount of output of terahash and you get bills based on that, um, which is also kind of an interesting fact. Like you don't get your final bill until they do a final run of the machine and they see like how much on average that machine works for. So that's also something that like I think is kind of fascinating. Yeah. It's not like we're buying units of machines. We're buying hash rate, terahash, mm-hmm. and then ultimately the mix that gets delivered will get you to that terahash, but not necessarily in uniform machine types. And do you have to retest yourself when they come in? Well, you plug them in. You're not necessarily testing them. You and test them when they you power them up. Do you always get the hash rate that they promise? There's like a plus or minus 5% okay. that they give yeah. you. But it's actually kind of funny because like say if you have a, a machine that is supposed to be like 100 terahash, right? Let's just throw that number out there. And then they'll sell you a machine that's like 102 terahash for like a little bit more, even though it's between that like plus or minus 5%. It's kind of... An interesting dynamic. Uh, they they take the machines. upside. Yeah, you have to have you have to have buffer when you're purchasing machines, both on terms of like 
building and then also for capital. What a weird industry this it is. It is. We this year we've actually become an authorized repair center for MicroBT as well. Okay. So um, we're now repairing most of MicroBT equipment for miners across North America and Northern Europe. So that this has given us a really interesting kind of window more deeply into the supply chain because we're now a, a parts depot as well, and obviously it's an incremental revenue line for us, which puts us closer strategically within the supply chain. What is the benefits to the benefit to these companies going public? Explain that to me as somebody just. I'm not a guy who runs businesses. I mean, the can, ASIC manufacturers going public no, or you, miners you, going public? Miners going public. Why have we seen so many? Because outside of the miners, what, what is it? We have Coinbase. Do we have any others? Galaxy. Uh, Galaxy. Well, <laughs> yeah. Of course, yeah. Voyager Digital. Yeah. But why are so many miners going public? Access to capital. Because our access to capital outside of public markets is is very expensive and difficult to come by at quantum and it's all about capital you need capital at scale to buy equipment at scale and to get better pricing um, and then all, of course your power costs are very very high so it's it is an incredibly capital intensive business and being public is your best way to access the lowest cost of capital available for this industry I'd also say that's especially if you want to like hold your Bitcoin, right? So like if you want to hold your Bitcoin long term, you need access to capital because you don't want to spend the Bitcoin that you're mining beyond like your operational cost. Which is a relatively new phenomenon. So Hudate's always held Bitcoin on balance sheet, mm -hmm. but historically we were the only public miner to do so. And we, we had to spend a long time explaining why we had taken that strategy because most miners would sell everything until this year. It's really only been this uh, calendar year that all public miners essentially started to hold almost all of their output, Are which is which is interesting in how it affects the supply signal, because miners mm. used to be the source of incremental liquidity of Bitcoin into the system, but yeah. now that so many miners are holding, uh, it is restricting supply. Well, Plan B's stock to flow model is based on the assumption that there's uh, was it 900 Bitcoin a day that comes to the yep, market, that's right. but if the miners aren't selling, right. The stock to flow is different, right? I would also say there's like more um, more companies that will give debt to miners now than like four years ago, right? For sure, but it's not cheap debt. Not cheap. It's hard to understand it from an investor perspective. You're like, hey, I have these machines coming in. Don't know the final price. <laughs> and we'll then, let you know in seven and, months. And like, then they want to see the contract, and you give them the contract, and they're like, oh no, no. And they're like, what's hash rate going to be? And you're <laughs> no. like, well, it could be anywhere between this and this. We're not sure. What's Bitcoin price going to be? And you're like, it can be between these ranges. So it's sometimes difficult to get investors comfortable, which means that you pay a higher cost for debt. Are you still holding all of the Bitcoin you mind, Jamie? I have not sold a Bitcoin since the first week of January. Yeah, it's the first week of January. Yeah, and is this something that you just review on a monthly basis, constant basis? Constant. We're always considering our treasury management, and yeah. we definitely take feedback from our investors as well. And right now, the the investor sentiment is very much in favor of holding all Bitcoin. It's similar for you. We hold right now. Yep. Um, we. I think treasury management will be a key differentiator for public mining companies going forward. I think there's a lot of really interesting things that you can do with the Bitcoin that you hold. And I feel like that will be something that if people get their head wrapped around certain situations that can be created for them, that they'll they'll be better longer term. Yeah, as an example, we a thousand of our Bitcoin we have in a yield account with Galaxy, and we also have a revolver that's wrapped around that. And this this is a product that is only become available to us this year. But it means we're actually now able to generate fiat from the Bitcoin while it 
well it sits with a secure counterparty. Interesting. And you borrow, but you can borrow against the Bitcoin. Yeah, during during uh, the bear market when it was really difficult for miners to raise capital, uh, we used the Bitcoin on our balance sheet as collateral to get a loan. Because it feels like there's more people coming into the market who are willing to loan against Bitcoin. I, I think Definitely. I read this week Goldman Sachs are even considering it. Yes, yes. I think that's like one of my favorite things of like where I sit. So like we prop mine, so we mine for ourselves at Galaxy. And then because of that, I'm able to see like what are the like products that I would want to create. And I can create products for my friends like Jamie um, in the space that like help them with their treasury management strategy. So that's been a lot of the focus that I've been working on over the past year. Such a weird, fascinating industry. I, I, I still struggle to get my head around it. I don't know how you do it. I mean, for you, Jamie, it must be such a different world <laughs> from a, a year ago when you came into this. Yeah. When I came in, I did not sleep for the first six weeks. I called a panic dialed Amanda like every second day. It is a big, big curve to come from traditional tech to to this space and and figure out how to, you know, make it all work. And obviously we're we're really, really focused on managing the balance sheet and creating value for shareholders. That's my job. Um and how to manage risk in all of this with all of the opaqueness that is involved in the industry. It's very, very complex. You won't go back though. Never, never. <laughs> it's so much more fun. It's, it is so fun. And I, I've stopped sleeping. Like I literally just have naps because your brain can't shut off for any extended period of time. There's so much to do. There's so much to think through. And the kind of energy that comes from that, there's nothing like it. I woke up at four o'clock this morning and I was annoyed it wasn't six, which is like my usual get up time. So I just just got up, started yeah, working. Just start working. <laughs> I could be shattered later, but uh, you won't though. I probably will be. Oh, probably you're will weak, be. Peter. I, I like to sleep. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I really like sleep, but um, I also like Bitcoin mining. So. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Exodus Wallet who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when the Exodus team reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. The experience is amazing, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, it's Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with Casa's multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move by signing transactions from multiple wallets. Ones that you get to distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more, you can reach out to me over email or drop me a DM on Twitter. I've been a customer for over a year and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now the football season started. It's been a strange start to the season. Tottenham started well, but obviously they fell apart. Typical Tottenham stuff and Liverpool are crushing it, but it's a bit tied up there. Other teams are doing very well. Now listen, 
With Sportsbet, you've got everything covered. Not only do they cover football, but they support tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even have esports. And for new customers, there is always a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, then please head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Well, listen, look, it's, it's, good, you're, it's good you're in, Jamie. Um, I'm glad you're uh, not sleeping and enjoying and uh, working <laughs> around the clock on this. Uh, one of the things that... I keep thinking about is that you know back in seventeen when I had my disastrous effort at uh, mining when I essentially bought one hundred and forty A six well seventy S uh, nines and seventy Dragon Mints and uh, and I bought them they were delivered in December and a really great first month okay second month break even third month then I got screwed for months on end because I didn't know what I was doing but really the point I'm trying to get to is that. This market can go up and down, and there's been a huge investment in Bitcoin mining, especially here in the U.S., right, uh, with the migration out of China. And it feels like like this investment at the moment is unrelenting. But at the same time, the price has been pretty pretty much the price is actually, I think it's below February. You think we were higher in February. We don't know where this is going. We don't know if we're going to go up to 100,000. We don't know if we're going to drop back down to 40,000, 30,000. How the hell do you start planning for that? Because you can be cautious, but your competitors could be investing and building new infrastructure and you can be behind them or you could be adventurous and if the price goes up, great. But if it drops, you're left with all this you know, infrastructure that you don't need. How the fuck do you plan this? I think we all have different strategies. This is why you don't sleep. This is why I don't sleep. <laughs> uh, and not all miners have the same strategy for sure. And I think that's the beauty of, um, of choice for investors. You can kind of figure out which miner strategy makes more sense to you and you have more comfort with. We have a more diversified strategy. So we have m- multiple lines of revenue. We're not just pure play on Bitcoin mining. We also mine other digital assets uh, to give us. Coins. <laughs> well, we but we do it. We mine other um, digital assets, but we only get paid in Bitcoin directly okay. out of the pool. So it's all about um, really reducing our risk on compression of Bitcoin mining economics by mm-hmm. being able to mine alternate. Uh, blockchains that have different margin profiles, but still getting paid in Bitcoin and still stacking Bitcoin at the end of the day on balance sheet. So what, what other shitcoins do you mine? So we own, the only other uh, asset that we mine <laughs> is Ethereum. I will not say shitcoin. Uh, so we mine Ethereum. You just did. <laughs> we mine Ethereum with Luxor's mining pool, which allows us yeah. to mine Ethereum but get paid in Bitcoin directly out of the pool. Okay. Just, so it's just Ethereum? It's just Ethereum. And Doing this strategy allows us to uh, mine a Bitcoin for less than three thousand dollars Canadian. Wow! I I uh, use the Luxor mining pool, um, and I'm okay with Luxor. Great, but pool. I only mine Bitcoin. <laughs> if you just said BSV, I don't judge. If we just if you just said BSV, we would have had a problem. I did not. I did not, and I do not. Good, good. You guys mine other stuff. I uh, know we mine Bitcoin. Yes. Well, we love you, Amanda. <laughs> okay. Um, Another thing I really want to talk about uh, is that there has been a lot of pressure on the mining industry with the ESG people, uh, and I'm not going to pick a side uh, because I am somebody who believes global warming is an issue and it's happening. I'm not a denier. Um, I, I believe it's caused by humans. I don't know the solution. I think governments will fuck it up if they try. But it, whatever, whatever it is, it is still a lens on the industry. Um, how do you feel progress, what do you feel about the progress that's been made on moving Bitcoin mining to be more from sustainable sources? So 
Um, I think that's going to naturally happen because miners need the lowest cost of electricity. So hopefully over time, sustainable sources will be the lowest cost of electricity. I think the industry as a whole has come together. Like Jamie and I, I know this is a contentious topic for some, but mm -hmm. we're founding members of the Bitcoin Mining Council. Yep. We saw early on, like starting to talk to investors in like January of last year, that the ESG angle was like really big for them to mm -hmm. check off, to get comfortable with it. And behind the scenes, we know that most miners are trying to go and have the lowest cost of electricity, which is sustainable. So we decided to come together as an industry, even though we're all competitors with each other, yep. and say, like, let's just share our data, and hopefully that will, like, dispel some of the FUD. It's really hard to dispel FUD in mainstream media when we have no data to back it up. So I've been pretty excited about the data that we've put out over the past year. I think hopefully it's helped. I've seen it help in investor conversations. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been the the noise and the fervor around it has certainly died down since we brought the data out and started uh, basically sharing a collective narrative based on facts. I'm, I'm not anti-mining council. First, I had my suspicious <laughs> concerns like everybody, but yeah, just cause, because these centralized organizations never really work out well for Bitcoin. But it doesn't actually seem to have been an issue with the Bitcoin Mining Council. And actually, it seems to have just produced really good data. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I accept it's a good thing and I congratulate the people on working hard on that. Uh, but is there, is, do you feel a collective pressure to source uh, from more renewable sources? Or as a business, will you just always buy the cheapest source? No, there's definitely pressure. Um, we, our original sites are in Alberta. So our, our two sites are in Alberta, uh, which is tra traditionally fossil fuel based mm -hmm. grid. But Alberta is doing a ton of work to bring renewables into the grid mix. And they've got a goal. They're at 20% renewables on grid now with a goal to get up to 30% within the next five years. And they're on track to do that. Texas is doing the same type of investment in renewables on their grid. And the nice thing about miners is we're a stable off-taker. Like we mm -hmm. really do work in conjunction with the grid. My best example is we our primary site is the city of Medicine Hat. They're an independent I'm in Medicine Hat. Yeah. They're an independent um, power authority within the province of Alberta because they have so much natural gas. Uh, but they a lot of that energy was sitting idle for peak demand. So we came in, we monetized that energy that was just sitting there idle. We're now the second largest contributor of revenue directly to the city. And when the city needs the power, we shut down and give it back. So we've made a completely efficient system. We haven't taken energy. We haven't created new energy. We've just monetized what was there for peak. Yeah, also, I think sometimes I feel it's a bit unfair. If you're taking money out, of, if you're taking power out of the grid, and that's down to the grid for how they source the power. You're just a buyer like any other business. That's very different from, say, I don't know, spinning up an old coal mine just to mine Bitcoin. I think you have a lot more responsibility when you are directly creating the you know, power from, from uh, dirty sources. But when you're buying from the grid, it's a little bit unfair just to pick on one industry. It's... Complex, for sure. And in Canada, we have a carbon tax. So we, as as miners using fossil fuels, we pay a carbon tax that goes um, towards building more renewables into the grid. So we're, we are part of, of the solution through our tax base and through our, our workload. But then we also announced yesterday that we will be carbon neutral by 2025, which means not only will we be paying the carbon tax, but we'll also uh, be buying offsets as well. Carbon neutral? Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, your move, Amanda. I just I think that like Bitcoin just gets picked on. It's like it does, the easiest thing. It does. <laughs> it's the easiest thing to pick on. You're like, oh, it uses energy, but like everything in this world uses energy. So it's just it's a tough conversation to have um, because like we all use energy in everything that we do in life, and energy is going to continue to be needed for all the things that we we do as a civilization, right? Um, I think miners will have their own strategies that work for like what works for their company, what works for their, you know, philosophy, what works for, like, their investors. And we'll see that play out over time. And, you know, we'll see who wins. But this stabilizing the grid is just an unbelievable phenomenon from Bitcoin mining. It feels like it's only something that's been talked about for maybe the last year. Yeah. It's suddenly, I mean, it's a great defense for Bitcoin in that if you want to shut down Bitcoin, you're going to take away jobs. And you're going to take away something that's stabilizing the grid. I, I met with Governor Abbott in Texas, and he was talking about their energy because they've got their own energy grid. Is it Eckhart? Eckhart? Eckhart. Eckhart. Yeah, he was talking about that Bitcoin mining will help them stabilize their own grid. Yep. So that's going to provide hopefully some regulatory protection. Yeah, um, and I think that like you know, there's also like off-grid miners that use you know behind the meter mining. So like Greenwich, for example, was one in in upstate New York, and they got a lot of um, slack for you know New York State kind of gave them a lot of trouble. Um, but at the end of the day, like mining is going to continue to happen, and miners are like very savvy in finding energy sources, and the ability to turn on and off like on demand will give miners more flexibility than traditional, you know, industries. The other thing that is, like, never talked about is that we talk about, like, Amazon and Facebook data centers, and they're built very differently, which requires, like, redundancy and air conditioning and, like, more expensive builds. And it's just, like, we never we just let that be, and we, like, just, you know, shit on Bitcoin mining for their energy usage, and it's just, I don't know. The topic, I feel like, I hope we've changed the narrative a little bit this year and hope to see it, like, change in the future, too, because... I think more people are becoming more, um, you know, interest, like interesting ways of using energy. So, a, a Facebook boiling polar bears. <laughs> yeah, of course. They are. Well, maybe not boiling polar bears. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. But to Amanda's point, our all of our facilities use free air cooling. We don't put pay any capex or opex or use any energy to cool. We literally have louvers. We're in cold climates, and Mother Nature does the work. What are those? Um, I've seen some people there. Uh, putting their miners in like liquid. Immersion cooling. What the hell is that? And why are these things not blowing up? You can um, overclock your machines. You can get more hash rate out of the machines. Um, And it also helps in climates where it's humid um, for your machine to operate operate appropriately. But how do they not blow up? It's specialized. It's um, dialectic fluid. So like Bitcool, for example, is one of them that's made specifically for Bitcoin miners. Wow. Fascinating. So in terms of another thing, by the way, that isn't mentioned because we, I, I've brought this up a few times because uh, Dan Moorhead wrote a really excellent piece saying we t- keep talking about the E with Bitcoin mining, but we never talk about the S and the G. Exactly. And I like, feel like that's something we can be pushing back on to yeah. say, mm-hmm. like, hold up a second, Democrats, let's look at the S and the G. Yeah, so we when we published our um, yesterday our uh, commitments to ESG, we published commitments in all three letters, and I think that is very important. Right now, we're all focused on the E, um, but but there's a there's a much bigger narrative that requires time and attention, and so that that's how we tackled it this week, where the all of our um, metrics are uh, public, they're auditable, and we hold ourselves accountable to them. 
not just the energy side. Is there anything more transparent than Bitcoin miners? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's so. Definitely not the ASIC manufacturing companies. <laughs> well, yeah. We're talking about the actual miners. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, fascinating. I, I think the S and the G side of things needs pushing a bit more, especially as we, I mean, was it yesterday that person from Stella was shouting the energy FUD with regards to, like, literally dumping on Bitcoin uh, in front of Congress? I didn't see the mm -hmm. hearing, but... I didn't see it. So we're not only are we fighting the uh, regulators, but we're fighting the shitcoiners who are attacking Bitcoin to promote their shitcoins, which mm. I, I find particularly annoying. Mm. Maybe more towards you here, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, interesting dynamic for me. I work for Galaxy. We do a lot of different things with different coins. Um, my team's focuses on Bitcoin mining. The part that kind of drives me crazy is when, like, the infrastructure bill came out and all of a sudden, we like you know want it to be one industry, and then a week later, it's like proof of stake is the way, but. right? And and you know proof of work uses too much energy. So it seems like there's sometimes a divide in the industry when it's convenient, and then also like a, a unification in the industry when it's also convenient. What do you think about proof of stake? Um, it's good for getting Bitcoin. I. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been mean. <laughs> I think it, proof of stake favors the holder, mm -hmm. um, which requires capital. Uh, I think it's let. I think it's more centralized, and I think it um, it discriminates from open participation. What do you, what do you well, actually? What's the regulatory situation like in Canada? How does it compare to say the U.S.? It's not a hot topic in Canada right now. Okay, so. We, are, we don't have the action that we're seeing come out of the SEC. Right, okay. So let's talk about the US then because I think it's super interesting. And one of the things that I find really interesting is that there seem to be more and more people within Congress who are actually batting for Bitcoin and trying to defend it. Yeah. I mentioned this morning Ted Budd. I, think I didn't watch yesterday, so... I just... Somebody put it up on Twitter. Ted uh, Bud came out and was in defense and saying, why Why would we overregulate this and push this into other countries? And I mm -hmm. feel like... I don't know the numbers, but the majority of Bitcoin companies are here in the US, the large ones. And I would estimate proportionally, as I said to you earlier, I think proportionally Americans may own a lot more Bitcoin than the rest of the world. So it, it would be a China-style own goal for them to ban Bitcoin. And actually, they should embrace it. And at a time of currency wars, when China's pushing its uh, CBDC, I think Bitcoin is a very American idea and great for America. I think Bitcoin's great for everywhere. I, I, love, I love the narrative mm -hmm. of Bitcoin, you know, being great for places that, you know, don't have the, the amount of wealth and capital that we have in America. I, I think it's also great for me. I'm an American, right? Um, so I see value in it for multiple reasons. It's obviously multi-layered. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, a really good point. There's a lot of um, innovation in Bitcoin companies happening within the states. And it, it would be really sad to see them shut it down. And even global, again, it's a, it's a, it's a race for capital and access to capital. Mm -hmm. And the, the most liquid capital market on the planet is the U.S. market. Interesting. Well, so so t talk to me about your capital raising strategies then. What are the different ones you use? Uh, well, so we originally only traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh -huh. We dual listed on the NASDAQ in June to specifically get access to the to the U.S. market and U.S. liquidity. 
Um, and it, our capital raising strategy has evolved significantly as the shareholder base has started to evolve. So miners used to be heavily dependent on retail investors and hedge funds. And we would generally only see unit deals done because hedge funds are looking for a warrant to, to play in, um, in riskier spaces like this one. But the last capital raise that we did in September uh, was the first of quantum that wasn't a unit deal. It was common only. We raised 172.5 USD and it for the first time brought more long uh, traditional institutions. And so we're seeing a very significant shift in a short period of time as far as the, the investor base coming into the, the world of mining. Have you considered doing anything like micro strategy and raising capital just to buy Bitcoin and put it on the balance sheet? So all of the Bitcoin on our balance sheet is self-mined. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're comfortable yeah. with. And your cost to mine is, is cheaper than what you can buy Bitcoin. Absolutely. But didn't, did a marathon announce they were going to buy? They have, they've they bought have a bought. lot. Yeah. 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 Why do you think they've, could you even speculate why they would do that? Well, they, they're a newer mining entity. So they, they wanted Bitcoin on balance sheet okay. and they didn't have much hash rate hashing to, to mine themselves. And they were able to access the capital markets and raise significant amounts of capital. So they put it to work in both, in both ways. Whole industry is crazy. All right, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the future of mining. What, mm -hmm. is, what is there to look forward to? What are, you, what are you both individually and collectively thinking about? What's on your mind? Okay, <laughs> this is going to be controversial because I'm, yes, I am this down, is what we're here for. I'm very much down the rabbit hole right now on Web three and the metaverse and how um, we we're, we as a diversified mining company can start to uh, think about how we can play in this ecosystem, but as as a continued infrastructure uh, participant. So I think, um, and then and then also because we have Bitcoin on balance sheet, and we and we are thinking we're we're making yield, starting to make yield on that, and thinking about a long term view of how we how we continue to expand our treasury management strategy and and how that balance sheet works for us and could potentially um, participate in this like next massive wave of innovation that's going to come in in the world of 3.0. So the, yeah, that's what I'm super excited about down the rabbit hole on. Um, and it's not a pure Bitcoin play, but Bitcoin has made this all possible. Interesting. I'm not a big fan of Web3 mm. as, it, as it's been redefined. How do you see it being redefined? Web3, prior to any of this blockchain industry coming out, Web3 was about a decentralized web and owning data. Mm -hmm. I feel like Chris Dixon and A16Z have, and some of the other people in Silicon Valley have redefined the narrative to be based on protocols that require tokens to run Web3, which I think is a distraction to the things that we really need, which is privacy and protection of data and Bitcoin, which I think are the, I, the, there's an incentive for them to push these protocols, I believe, because they get to see massive returns for limited investment with limited risk. Uh, and I think that's why they've re redefined Web3 as a world of tokens and NFTs rather than a world of what actually users need, which, are, which is, I think, 
the next, you know, with all the hacks we've had and all the data hacks, I think we need privacy and protection of data. And I think that comes from decentralization. And prior to Bitcoin, people were able to decentralize things without a token. I mean, BitTorrent was done without a token and it mm -hmm. decentralized file sharing. Uh, Napster was able to be closed down eventually, but it still decentralized file sharing. And I just feel the token narrative is misleading and I think it places a, an onerous task of people who want to use the web on understanding very complex things that they might lose money on. That's my issue with it. But that's not the way that it needs to play out. It's the way it is being played out right now. It's becoming a meme in some ways. But it doesn't have to be. Well, I hope not. Yeah. I, I hope not. I hope Web3 isn't really Web A16Z because that's what it feels like to me. Interesting. And I... And I know a lot of the web infrastructure grew and a lot of the companies and products grew because of companies like that investing in it. But I also feel like there's a lot of work that needs to be done which doesn't require tokens, which is improving the web infrastructure for users, what the users need, not what VCs want to sell. And I think that narrative being redefined for me is, is mildly concerning. I am still very much in the camp of Web3 is putting the user in control of their data. We can, we're good then. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's so exciting when you think about a world where that's true. Well, it is, and that's why I think metaverse wars, which is coming, we've got the centralized <laughs> Facebook metaverse from Zuck versus the decentralized metaverse from Cameron and Tyler, which is going to be the epic tech battle of the next Decade, which I cannot fucking wait to just watch play out. And it's so exciting. It's, it's like, was it? Which was was it? Jaws two, Revenge of Jaws. This is like the revenge movie. Now mm -hmm. this is where they get to fucking stomp on Zuck and say we're right because we went decentralized and nobody trusts you and your bullshit, Zuck. Sorry, I'm just getting a bit passionate now. <laughs> no, I think we're just we are in such interesting times. Are you going to plug into the metaverse? Um plug in. Yeah, you're going to get, what do you want to do in the metaverse? I went so far down the rabbit hole. I was shopping for real estate the other day what? in the metaverse. Really? I pulled myself back from it, but it, it just the, the ability to really uh, dream about a decentralized world, a digital world where you, you control your, yourself, your person in that environment. I think it's fascinating. I think it's too, early to say how it's going to play out and who who the winners are and the losers are, but it's an incredible uh, opportunity to really imagine a different web world. Are you going to be a Web3 realtor? Realtor? You <laughs> no. say realtor. I'm trying to use your language. We call them estate agents. Real, real estate agent yeah. or realtor. No, definitely not. You're just buying for yourself. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just dreaming. I'm dreaming and imagining of how the, how this could all move. Like yeah. Barbados has announced a, um, a digital embassy. It has? Yeah. What does that mean? They've, they're setting up an embassy in the metaverse. Really? Yeah. Which metaverse though? Um, I don't know where they bought the real estate. Do you remember? Is it in Zucks? Mm -mm. No, 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 no. No, Decentral. So we got, we're going to have the multi-metaverse. Potentially. Hmm. What are you going to do in the metaverse? Um, no, 
You know, you just know. <laughs> I, look, I, I focus my time on Bitcoin mining. I think there's so much that can be done there. I just, I find that fascinating. Like, I think that there's a lot that's going to happen over the next year in mining. And like, that's where I want to focus all of my time. 100%. Well, you tell me about the future of mining. Then. I think there'll What's be, like on your mind? Yeah, so I think, like I said earlier, I think treasury management strategies will become really interesting next year. I think hash rate growth will become interesting. We'll see, you know, who actually delivers on what they said they're going to do, which is like what I track very closely. Um, I also think we're going to see some M&A in mining. I think it's inevitable. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's ripe for consolidation with as much activity as we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, we were talking about this this morning. We grabbed a coffee uh, and I was trying to understand where are the efficiencies in mining? Is it, is it purchasing power? Purchasing power is huge, but I also think operations is huge right now. So you need to have someone that knows how to operate a mining site and knows how to scale in order to get you know to the scale that you want to be at. And I think that that's like something that is pretty lacking in the space. Do you do you think Bitcoin mining is decentralized enough? Because we saw the shutdown in China. I saw this incredible chart in Ryan Selkis's report. Did you see his report? I did. Yeah. The chart where like China switched off and the distribu- distribution of mining. Uh, a lot of this has moved to the U.S. But are we decentralized enough? Should we be? Do you, as companies, think about putting operations in other countries? Yeah, I mean, we look everywhere. We we look, you know, for the cheapest energy that exists. Um, I think it's decentralized enough. I think one of the really cool things that popped up this year was really like at-home mining or individuals mining Bitcoin. You know, I think that that's been something that I've I've loved to watch um, happen. So one person that I I like absolutely love on Twitter is Econ Alchemist. Mm-hmm. He does like at-home mining videos and like we'll do like at-home consulting for people that want to mine. I think Steve's black box is an incredible feature. And, you know, even if it's like one machine at people's houses, it's 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 awesome. Steve from um, Upstream Data. Steve Bob. Steve Barber. Yeah. Good what, what's his black box? It's a, an individual like, it's like a, a box, a black box <laughs> um, <laughs> that you, it's for, it's set up for you to have at-home mining and you could put it like outside your house, um, and he like created so that like the noise isn't as bad because mining noise is kind of an issue. I've also seen videos pop up of people like heating their homes with mm. miners, which is pretty fascinating. So, can it be profitable to mine at home? I always thought the power is too expensive. Power is super expensive. I think it depends on your like ideology. So, if you think that like Bitcoin is going to be worth a lot more in the future, like maybe you're willing to lose dollars now because you're holding your Bitcoin. So it just comes down to like what you're comfortable with. You might also just want to be part of, you know, mining Bitcoin. Um, I talked to some guy at a BitDevs meetup recently who made me think twice. He was like, I mine Bitcoin at home, not because it's profitable, because I want non-KYC Bitcoin. Okay. So I thought that was pretty fascinating too. So I think people have different reasons for it, but um, it's cool to see it pop up as like a trend. And then it's helpful to have a company like Compass, like obviously sponsor, but yes. they're making it easy for anyone to be able to just you know, purchase ASICs. Yeah, we, um, full disclosure, we led the round in Compass's seed round. And I think what they've created has been really awesome for individuals to get, to become part of, of mining. And, you know, Compass is, is for like individuals, but there's also people that like come to us and they're like, hey, I have a bunch of money I want to put into Bitcoin mining. I don't know where to get started. And so they're able to, you know, also serve a different clientele too. Um, so, you know, I think what they're doing is great. I think, 
you know, there's been some delays on sites that people have been upset about, but that truly is the unsexy part of mining. <laughs> like the building part of it is like really hard. Um, so I know they've tried to, you know, make their customers really happy and we've been, you know, working really hard behind the scenes on, on getting people up and running. But, you know, mining is difficult. It's physical infrastructure and it's not always not everything goes according according to plan. Certainly not in our current COVID-constrained oh supply God. chain logistical nightmare environment. Like, we are battling every single day supply chains and logistics. I'll give an example of that. So we use a really great shipping and logistics company. The beginning of the year, I was budgeting, like, $150 per ASIC to ship over. We paid $500 per ASIC last month. Pretty shit. Everything's yes. coming on chartered planes. Yeah, interesting, because I've just ordered a bunch of football shirts, and the, normally they would be manufactured in China, mm-hmm. but they're manufacturing them now in Turkey because they can come by lorry. So it's more expensive, but you've, you've got it. What, what they said is you've got a guaranteed delivery date. I can tell you it's 80 days. I don't have to tell you, well, it could be 60, but it could be 140, and I don't know the price of shipping, so I can't give you a price now. I would love guaranteed delivery dates on, like, literally anything. I don't even know how it's possible. Like, um, we have, because climate change kind of piles on, too, um, and where it's hurt us in the last month, all of our uh, equipment normally lands in Vancouver, and then it it. It trucks to our site in Alberta, but Vancouver has had massive flooding, which has um, shut down all of the roadways around the city. So the the only way you can get things out of Vancouver is to fly them out. There's no there's no there there's have no been roads. no inland roads. And they've all been they've all flooded out three times now. Is this unusual for Vancouver? Incredibly unusual. Hmm. Yeah, so just when you think you've got it figured out, something other, some other new crazy unforeseen <laughs> thing happens and you're jammed again. It's, it is an absolute juggernaut right now. I think that's like my favorite part about it, though, is like you're always like <laughs> figuring out something new. Like She's a massive Yeah, kid. what's happening? <laughs> We've just had aliens land and <laughs> oh, yeah, attack that, our center. Oh, you, just, you never, ever know, but it's so that everything's exponentially more complicated right now. Oh, wow. Listen, I think you're both doing brilliant jobs, and I love you both. Oh. And I'm sorry I gave you a hard time, Jamie. It's okay, Peter. But we're a Bitcoin Healthy show. Debate. We're a Bitcoin show, and we've got to uh, we got to shit on the shit coins. <laughs> um, Jamie, tell people where to follow you and the amazing work Hut Eight are doing. Uh, I'm so I'm at Jamie Leverton on Twitter. I think I'm one of the only Levertons on LinkedIn, um, and we're hut8mining.com. Oh, I'm Amanda. Oh, sorry, I should have said. Also, yeah, no, you, Amanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just nod at you. Look <laughs> at Amanda. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter too, um, at Amanda underscore Fabiano. And um, we're, we have like a Galaxy website. So you can go on what is if it? you need more. Galaxydigital.io. We don't really have much on mining there, but we do have a 12-week um, course if you want to learn about mining that we put on this summer. Are you going to that mining conference in Texas at the end of February, Scott Offered, I think, is running it. Um, no, I ha- I'm not going to that. But we we might have someone for. We have people from our team at okay. all kinds of events. I might be going to that one. Very nice. Austin, do you want to come say hello? Do you want to say hello to the camera, just as you <laughs> just because you came in. <laughs> Any side. Just come around and say hello. It's been good to uh, listen to you know, what you guys have been talking about. Hey. Anything you want to add? Any closing thoughts before we close down the show? Any Bitcoin mining closing thoughts? Mm, no, nothing in short form. 
Mm. But there we go. I think they covered it well. Yeah. They crushed it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Keep Peter. crushing. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening to what Bitcoin did. If you want to get in touch, you want to reach out to me, the best thing to do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Okay. See you all very, very soon. <laughs>